All right, so we're doing a little bit of a recap here on episode one of Virtual Eleven. I've got Andrew Dubroy in the house, in the his house, and it's actually three months since we recorded that first episode. Has it been that long? Wow. Yeah, it's been three months. I heard you saying there you haven't finished listening to it yet. I wouldn't blame <laughs> you. It's about five hours long. Yeah, I got through about ha- halfway through Future Real, and then that was the the point where we started to freak out because of our conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> Not, I don't think it's conspiracy, actually. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Based on the response we got, which was quite good, and we'll get into. But um, yeah. I just like to say as well that this is the first official recording of my new Blue Yeti microphone. Yeah, it sounds good. I've given it a test run. It is good. I was having this underlying hum like high-pitched, not quite a hum, but like a ee sound for the last few months. And I was convinced it was the cable. I bought two new cables and neither of them worked with it at all. And the existing cable only worked, but it was like breaking off at the at the connection point. But if you positioned it in a certain way, it worked. And I was like, this is not going to last forever and new cables don't work. So I don't know what kind of relationship those two, that cable and that connection had with each other, but it was strong because... Uh, <laughs> Once that cable finally died, uh, no other cables would work on it. But I looked at both the connection on the Blue Yeti and the connection on the cable, and they're just both r- like ragged looking. You know, like all of the little receivers and things like that are just worn yeah. down to a nub. So I'd say whatever reason, for whatever reason, bits of the mic had rubbed off on the cable, and bits of the cable had rubbed off on the mic, and there was just enough there left to uh, to work. But then it just finally just broke. And I was doing an interview there the other night, and um, I had to use this headset that, uh, that I'm using here. It was an absolute disaster. Then my internet kept disconnecting, and um, it was the biggest sham of a, of a podcast interview I've ever done. But luckily, it was with somebody I've already spoken to before and speak to uh, regularly as well. So it wasn't that big a deal. But had it been somebody like, like you know, somebody that who I'd never spoken to before, it would have been a fucking disaster. But there you go. Anyway, new new Blue Yeti. Um, so yeah, it's a you... maiden voyage, you might say. There you go. Did you try blowing into the <laughs> the receiver? Do you know, I actually didn't. <laughs> that might <laughs> because, have worked. <laughs> because it wasn't a Nintendo console, games console, yeah. I didn't. Um, I don't know. Was it, a, it could have been a mini disc. Yeah, I used to blow into my mini disc, actually. Yeah. I used to help it work as well. Um, no, I didn't try, to, uh, try that, but in fairness, it's, it's worn down. Um, that would have been my IT uh, solution. Yeah, do you know what? I might try that afterwards. I can't believe I didn't try that. Yeah. I'm so jaded with technology now. I don't even try the old tricks anymore. I'm just like, oh, it's broken. Buy a new one. Capitalism. Yeah. Didn't you? Did you try to reach out to the company to see if they could? So there is a place in Dublin that does Blue Yeti repairs, and I did contact them, and they didn't get back to me. And mm. I'm, I was thinking to myself, if the, even if they could repair it, I'm going to say it would have cost at least 50 euro to get yeah. repaired. I, I was saying recently, I had a similar thing. I think I was saying in the WhatsApp group, I had a similar thing with my iPod Classic a few years ago. And it was it was the connection that needed to be replaced. I got it done twice. And it, this was only the earphone connection. And um, it cost me 50 euro each time. So I got, on, I yeah, got a new, get a new one. Yeah, I got a new one for 85 pounds, which is about 100 euro or a bit less. So I said, fuck it. Yeah, well may as well do. just get it. Yeah. Oh. But anyway, I Sounding released the good. first Virtual 11 episode there. Um, today is the 9th of February. Or February? What the fuck? <laughs> May. It's May. Was it the 9th of February when we recorded? The 5th or something like that. Oh, yeah, okay. I was getting confused. Yeah, I think it was 5th, yeah. Yeah. Let me yeah. just check. Yeah, I think it was that. But, um, it's, so- it's so long ago, but also not long ago at all. I know, yeah. Yeah, it was the 5th. It was the 4th. 
we started on, which was probably 11 p.m. my time, and it bled into the 5th. Um, yes, yeah. Which, yeah, there we go. Sorry, I posted it on the 6th of May, and now it's... Or not, well, no, I didn't. Yeah. I posted it. Oh, my God, I'm having a seizure here. I posted it on the 29th of April, uh, and now it's the 9th of February. So I, I was, I'm, I was no, meant to post... No, now it's the 9th of May. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Is this... <laughs> you might get it right. Can you believe what you hear? Can you believe what you feel? Oh, exactly. I can't. I don't even know the fucking date. Um, something about it not being delivered a week later, like I promised. Anyway, is that's what I was generally getting at. But I found now, anytime I make promises about when I'm going to release an episode, I just end up breaking them. So I should just stop doing it because uh, it's a it's a fool's errand. I think. Um, well, I just saw you tweet about uh, you you enjoy the process and you want to do it more often. But I think the the biggest barrier is just getting started, right? Oh, I'm absolutely! For yeah. anything, mm, it is. Do you know what happens when you when you load in two two hour and fifty minute pieces of audio into your editing software? You look at it and you go, "Oh my fucking god! <laughs> How am time. I ever going to get this done?" It, the last one took me seven hours to do, um, and that's when Four I just hours? Like, seven hours. Our, no, like our first uh, episode or a different episode? No, the, the our last episode. Okay, yeah. so the the third one is probably going to take you. What, like 10 hours <laughs> i don't know but um i i i also edited out an hour of our speaking to each other as well um during the episode too so that's kind of i suppose that takes a lot of time anyway this is not a podcast about editing podcasts it's a recap to go at the start of episode two of virtual 11 and you're back here to join me which is always nice if you can do it um, if you have the luxury of doing it in between releases, which by my delay of the episode release, I have invented that luxury uh, or created that luxury even. Um, so did you see, I assume you saw some of the feedback we got on Twitter about this. Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of reacting and interacting with it a little bit. It, it seemed to be positive overall, actually. I didn't, I didn't really see anything negative. Um, a lot of people were blown away by the theory that we came up with regarding Blaze's lyrics um, and the fact that he may have been writing about his own demise or foreseeing his own demise, like to quote the clairvoyant in a way. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, who, but, uh, who, was, uh, who was blown away by that? So I'm going to scroll down to it here. We're going to go through these live. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling. So, well, right well we had Luis Mari- Mariano, who is the Iron Maiden mm. Encyclopedia, uh, yeah. who corrected a few different points on it so I, I think i mentioned at one point i thought that photo was strange for a long time where they're standing there with the footballers and he's like oh right yeah. but then i was like apparently it is a real photo this is what i said in the episode he's like i can't help but clarify something the picture of the band with the other football players is a montage at no point were the entire football team in inverted commas together in the same place um then andrew whitnell had to mention that Three players from Arsenal's League and Cup double winning team of 97 and 98 were included in that photo. I can't remember them offhand, but I know Ian Wright is one of those, if you're listening, Andrew. I do know a small bit about 1990s uh, English football, but my knowledge ends at the turn of the millennium. Um, And then, yeah, Luis went on to just mention a few other points about... uh, various different things uh, you know as he does like that's that's kind of his thing isn't it it's like iron yeah it's maiden, great iron maiden trivia or i don't know if, you know if it goes beyond trivia to obsession maybe i'd say um and i don't mean that in a negative way but yeah um if i've ever known one person to be obsessed with iron maiden and finding out the facts 
to within an inch of his life. It's uh, it's Luis. Um, and Nesbitt as well. Nesbitt too, yeah. Nesbitt Luis, too. Like, yeah, he's he's an encyclopedia, like you say. I remember when we uh, we were. I think it was the Senjutsu listening party, and and he was there, and he had mentioned off offhand that he didn't like the Blaze era. And we were all just like ripping into him for that. Ah, oh, jeez, I don't even remember that. It was so I long think ago. I think that was him. He said like just like a, a passing comment about like. Not I'm sure. Quite I'm sure annoying. if he didn't say it, he'll correct you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, Luis, <laughs> chime in. If I'm wrong. He's like, I actually have a transcript of the call, and what I said was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're only kidding, Luis. Uh, we're only we're only having a laugh. Oh, I, um, I love his uh, like. The facts that he's chiming in with, like that's great that he can like expand on what we were like, yeah, bantering about. Do you know it was interesting because I saw the listens coming in from Venezuela, which is not a country who listens to my podcast at all. But the only time I've ever had listeners is when he's mentioned before that he listened to X, Y, or Z episode, and I was like, oh, he he must be listening, uh, obviously because it's Iron Maiden and it's out in the public domain. He has to listen because it's his job as a writer <laughs> of books about Iron Maiden and a corrector of mis misinterpreted information and yes. uh, incorrect facts. Can you have an incorrect fact? No, you can't. You can only have just wrong Alt- information. Alternative facts. Alternative facts, yeah. <laughs> he also posted a clip from UFO Lonely Heart. He's like, the song Lonely Heart by UFO. He's like, do you want to know where the intro to The Angel and The Gambler came from? Listen to this. And I remember Steve said, this was from an idea that I had when I was driving on the M4 motorway to Wales. The idea reminded me of The Who or UFO, so I took it in that direction. So Right, yeah, we we, uh, we quoted that that quote, but yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't sure what UFO or Who song that he was... Yeah, referring to, but yeah, that's cool. There, there is a resemblance there, certainly. Um, got a message from Melissa just saying I'm listening right now. Uh, I'm sure she she went a distance. Uh, I can't I can't imagine that she wouldn't have. Uh, Risky Georgianus of the Metal Gods podcast said, "I'd love to see Feckin' Metal Cast and Debroy Twenty Seven. Those are our Twitter handles for anyone listening. Yeah. Um, go deep on more Iron Maiden albums together over time. This series and Senjutsu are both great." Cheers, George. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually what I said. I said, cheers, yeah. George. <laughs> I said, they've been very enjoyable to do. When the time is right, there may be another one. As you can see, I'm being non-committal about that. These, well, I will say... Let's just while, tease it for now. Like, well, yeah, teasing is always good as well. While these have been some of the most enjoyable and most listened to episodes I've ever done, they're also the most effort to edit. And also to schedule, and the time difference also creates a an ex, a extra obstacle. Um, but... It's very rewarding, I will say. So I can imagine in a few months' time, um, I'll come knocking on your door again. If you don't have your own podcast set up by then, by the way, <laughs> let's do a live one in uh, in Ireland. One. Do you know what I'd love to do? Right, and I know Nesbitt and Josh did this, and I'm completely stealing this idea from them. And I don't even know if I'm going to be busy on that night or whatever. But let's say in theory, I'm not. You remember they did um, a live set list, a live set list reveal for. Um, the legacy. legacy of the beast tour yeah, yeah that would be something interesting because while this probably won't change that much we know there will be changes and it'll be interesting to see that'd be fun mm-hmm. yeah okay we'll put that on the back burner um more from because that's soon right like that's later this month oh it's in a couple of weeks yeah yeah i can't remember the date but it's in maybe two weeks and a bit um Louise said more since I've been studying for my next book. Here's the thing about the writing credits if harris brings a song he basically brings 90 percent of the song in a demo with most of the music originally only on bass and whistles the melody, then he writes the lyrics. If he doesn't write the lyrics, what the song 
is basically his idea. He'd at least suggest the wording and melody line of the song. He would also bring the idea of what he wants the guitar to do through the song. The only thing he doesn't come up with are solos, but he sort of approves it. Adrian does something similar to Steve, but now he comes up with almost a complete maquette, M-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E, I've never heard that, of the song guitars, drum machine, lyrics. Bruce brings the lyrics and some music written on acoustic guitar and sometimes drum machine. Dave basically comes up with just the riffs or musical bass of a song on guitar. And finally, we have Yannick who brings lyrics, riffs and complete musical bass, B-A-S-E, guitars and a drum machine. Basically, when various composers write a song, there is a Frankenstein, or sorry, the song is a Frankenstein, i.e. pieces from various things from the demos everybody brings. For example, out of the Silent Planet, Yannick had the riff. Bruce mo- wrote most of the lyrics with ideas that came from Steve. So there you go. <laughs> Love it. that. That's really cool background. Like, yeah, that's it. And that's that, a, we, we were we were trying to figure that out right in in the episode when we were like, what what is the threshold for getting an Iron Maiden for a writing credit? credit? Yeah, absolutely. And, so and like we all cool. we've all heard stories of you know you know Steve taking the credit maybe when it wasn't just him and not mentioning anything specific. But um, I. I've read a lot and listened to a lot of podcasts about Iron Maiden and obviously listened to the music, but I don't retain that information as well as some people do. And when I hear facts like that, it's like I'm hearing them for the first time. But then I think to myself, like, I must have come across this before, but it just, I don't retain it in my memory. Um, I suppose as well as somebody who writes books about Iron Maiden for a living, so maybe I shouldn't be too hard on myself. Yeah. Or, well, maybe not for a living, yeah. but as, as a side hustle, perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, like sometimes I'm hearing this stuff as if I'm hearing it for the first time. It, and it is very interesting. That's what I said. Uh, it's very interesting to hear that kind of breakdown because you're like, I didn't realize, or maybe I did and I forgot, I forgot but I don't recall hearing about Yannick writing lyrics before. Yeah. No, it's it's cool to get that like you know you you and I were talking kind of very roughly about it and just like you know bantering about it and then somebody chimes in and is like well actually let me take you on a little journey yeah I, absolutely like and, and look I love facts I really yeah. do and I, like I, I try to be as factually correct as I can but at the same time I wouldn't I think being utterly factually correct on a topic like that would have eliminated most of the conversations we had, which were all speculative. So so, (laughs) I see, I think that's what people actually enjoy it. And like, and I like looking at it kind of with a side eye or something like, you know, like mildly mocking it as well at the same time, just, just to make it entertaining. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the music I love. I, I would never ever pretend otherwise, but like, you can also kind of have a bit of fun at its expense um, yeah. while actually really appreciating it. And that's the balance I think we strike, or I, I like to strike anyway, on these episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to just shoot the shit back and forth about stuff exactly. that we love. And this, you know, I, lo- I looked up the word maquette. It's okay. a scale model or rough draft of an right. unfinished sculpture. It's a French word. I, I guess it was cool. French. Yeah. Makes sense. Due to the structure of the word, but um, yeah. yeah, okay, that's interesting. Okay, learning again. Uh, got a yeah. message from Steve Patton, a lengthy one, but he did put up a tweet as well. Um, this is somebody I've only recently started speaking to on, on Twitter, and uh, he said, this is the first episode I've started listening to. I really enjoy you on Twitter and on Mick Wall's podcast. Really interesting to hear two younger Maiden fans who came in post-Blaze discussing the 90s. I'm looking forward to hearing more episodes too. Yeah. Uh, so I think you replied to that. And then he said, you just said, thanks for listening, Stephen. He said, 
Regarding Blaze foreseeing his demise in future real lyrics, worth noting he had said subsequently that he was looking forward to working with Steve, Dave and Yannick again, but didn't mention Nico. Rumour I've heard is that Nick was actually the one who had an intervention with Harris about Blaze. Uh, he said, I've also yeah, we heard... We speculating that too. Mm, he said, I've also heard from the off, Nico was dubious, saying Harris had picked the one who couldn't sing, which makes you wonder if Blaze or Nico and Nico ever really got on. This may have fueled the move to bring, bring Bruce back much earlier on and it was discussed maybe in 1998 um yeah and like i i had heard and i do remember reading in mick wall's book about nico being unsure about blaze but i've i seem to remember the reason he was unsure about blaze was he called he called blaze a party animal and nico had the reputation in the band for being the big party animal so that was kind of the way it was that story was told in that book and i was kind of thinking all right okay but that's a bit um Sort of an odd thing to pick him up on, uh, but maybe he just personally didn't get on with him. And you don't really hear of people. Well, I, I mean, obviously, Blaze has had loads of people through his band, so he must have fallings out with people. But you still don't hear too many things negatively spoken about Blaze yeah, as a person true. or his personality it's or anything like that. Interesting to hear Dick Nico say that Blaze was the party animal because you hear like Nico used to have, you know, have a few too many beers. Yeah, and, and the rest. Um, yeah. I think I probably have heavily misquoted that, so I look forward and, to and the rest. being corrected on <laughs> that one as well. Uh, but uh, Dan Luis again saying blah, 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 about something about Maiden saying they never used something left over from other albums. Um, he mentions a couple of examples where Steve and others did mention that they were carrying stuff over from other albums. So I stand corrected on that. But I still will maintain that I don't hear it very often. And the, the few examples that are mentioned here, I would say, are the exception. Um, where I think other bands are more forthcoming with that. Like Angus Young from ACDC, for example, will often mention that he's had riffs lying around. Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath is another example. He's always, always telling you about his box of riffs um, and things like that. So I don't know. I just don't think they're as... as as free, I don't think they speak about it as frequently, maybe as some other bands do. Like, oh, we got this from this time, or we carried this from that album, or etc. But Luis did give a few examples, and Steve Patton gave one as well. So, fair play, that's fair enough. I accept it. Now, Don McIntyre said, I feel like Wayne from Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast when I say this, but Don McIntyre said, uh, Great to hear you back together. Beer can opening included. The analysis of future real. Did, is did we open beers? In we must have done, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for the first one I was drinking Guinness, I seem to recall that. So, yeah, I'd say I was opening the Guinness journal. But he's like, the analysis was, of future... Yeah, I was Sorry. probably opening a few beers, too. Yeah, absolutely. Before you were cracking yeah. water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the very end of the night. Bringing the side down. Um, but, no, he uh, said, the analysis of future real is stop in your tracks stuff. I don't know if that's a phrase in Canada, but uh, stop in your tracks is, like, being quite I, shocked. I understand it, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'd rather not be endlessly asked about shaving wives. I'm very much looking forward to the next part. Again, like you, I, I haven't listened to the end of the episode. Now, I did when I was editing it, but that's a bit different to actually listening to it. But shaving I assume, wives. Were, were we making what? jokes about shaving wives? Was that at the beginning? When we were Don't you about? think I could shave your wife? I see, oh, like, did, oh we yeah. say, did we say that? Did we? I don't recall. We, if we did, I was pretty drunk at that point yeah so i kind of said um cheers don the beer can opening is kind of a trademark now wife shaving is kept to a minimum on the next two episodes <laughs> um well maybe maybe yeah some more stuff from louise about the future real artwork as well um i don't need to read out every comment here uh 
Paul Rook, great episode, loved it. In particular, I couldn't believe it when I heard the comment or suggestion about the solo in Angel and the Gambler sounding like Guns N' Roses or Slash, as I thought I was the only one who ever got that vibe. Looking forward to the next episode. And then Alan Bell, all good so far, has me laughing out loud. Um, That's good, I was laughing out loud too. Then I got a few quote tweets. Um, Councillor Richard Holmes, UUP, the Ulster Unionist Party, uh, who seems to be good mates with Steve, uh, said... uh, Feckin' hilarious, right? Uh, um, and a quote tweet. And then Melissa said, give this a listen. And a quote tweet, yeah. So I assume she obviously That's did nice. listen. Um, and there's a couple more, but like, um, one cut through every other thing. But I got a couple of DMs as well from people who haven't really spoken to me and had lengthy chats with them about Iron Maiden and things like that too. But uh, there you go. There's the feedback for episode one. Uh, cool. Seems to be across the board very well. And I will say the numbers have been fantastic. It's it's up there. It's it's a uh, yeah, you're a podcast sensation. Not quite Mick Wall numbers, but you know it's not too far off. Well, and again, it's probably more to do with the subject matter, uh, but we do have a good time and it's fun. And you know, I, I'm glad that the listeners enjoy listening to us too. I, I think it's probably due to, to do with the subject matter, but also I've done episodes on Iron Maiden on my own, and they haven't been as popular. And also. Um, People clearly listened the last time around and came back for round two. So if they didn't like what we did with Angel, or bleh, if they didn't like what we did with Senjutsu, God, I have fucking a brain meltdown today. Um, if they didn't like what we did with Senjutsu, they wouldn't have come back for this because those were long episodes and they maintained a really steady listenership throughout the three of them. So I think, um, I think that people like you as a guest is what I was going to say. Yeah, that's that's good to hear, and I feel like we, as we go, as we go along, as we have gone along, our recordings have been better and better. I feel like the the next two are even better than the previous one. It's a bold statement. It's a bold yeah. statement. But um, I'm yeah, I'm midway through editing that. So um, I I did get a DM as well from uh, our friend George. Uh, he wanted me to come on the uh, Metal Gods podcast. So. Mm. That, that should be fun. Excellent. Are, are you allowed yeah. to reveal which song you're going to be talking about? Probably not, so probably don't do that. Um, uh, it's from Firepower. I'll tell you that much. Okay. I mean, that could be... That's a, that's a large album. There's Maybe a few, I'll cut that bit a few out. songs on there. I'll ask George <laughs> if he wants me to leave that bit in or not. Um, as, a, as a podcaster's courtesy. Uh, yeah, no, true. but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I, there's a great sense of relief and accomplishment when you release a big long-ass episode like that. I mean, Uncle, St- Uncle Steve must get this every week, but with me, my episodes are usually an hour. And it, for an episode that's like over two hours, it takes me a long time to edit it. Yeah, uh, I bet but, he, he doesn't edit nearly as much as you, right? Or well, he? I don't want to be the one to say that, but you just kind of said it. No, I don't know what he does, <laughs> to be honest. Um, oh, I thought I, we had that discussion before. Shut up, Andrew. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Definitely cut that out. Ah, fuck it, leave it in. I don't know if he does edit as much, to be honest. like I, I feel like you just get the whole conversation with Steve. Because he produces them one a week, which is very frequent. And like, he's never yeah. missed a week either. And But, but he also produces extra episodes sometimes as well like um i mean i think he did seven in a row one day or one week or something like that yeah but no i think you get the whole conversation with him with me i try to cut out pieces that are irrelevant repetitive or just boring and that's with both you and me 
I think sometimes we said stuff that we'd said 10 minutes previously and I was like, just like, why, why am I repeating myself here? I'm just well, talking I, shit. And as the beer flows. Oh, absolutely. As the beer flows. <laughs> there were whole sections with both of us where we were repeating the same point. We'd only said minutes earlier. And I was really? like, no, I have to On that this. first episode? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it kind of goes with the theme of the Some of that I even left in because... There was maybe when we were repeating ourselves, there was one extra point that we hadn't said, and I was okay. like, "But I couldn't cut to it without putting in a sound effect, and it would have just sounded weird." So I was like, "I'll just leave it in, and I'll just suffer through it." Um, it kind of goes along with the repetitiveness of Angel and the Gambler, though. Yeah, we'll use that excuse <laughs> exactly. Um, that's exactly what we were aiming for. Yeah. Um, all right. So this in itself is lengthy enough. So yeah. do you have more to say on this, or are you happy to leave it there? I am looking forward to the next episodes reaction that we get and then we can do this again excellent okay right i'm gonna stop recording now okay so yeah but we're back again doing um virtual 11 episode two i'm here with andrew de Broy again returning to feckin metal uh, making us making your fifth appearance on feckin metal in total which is more than anybody else by the way just in case you weren't aware of that wow mm. i am honored yeah. Now people have appeared on more than five episodes, but I've never spoken to somebody in five separate calls before, separate chats. Um, so there you go. Well, soon to be more too. Yeah. Um, and I'm cracking a not a water, but I'm cracking not a, a water. A Germania Pilsner. <laughs> uh, it's called Germania, so I had to buy it. Um, hey, German boy, go back to Germania or something. Is that from The Simpsons? I think it is. Uh, maybe. Uh, Damn Scots, you're ruining Scotland. <laughs> You're not from Scotland at all, are you? <laughs> Funnily enough, that could be a theme of today's episode. Hey, um, let's just explain what crack of water is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, you might you might want to go ahead and explain that one because I still don't really know what the hell that was all about. <laughs> Neither do I. Um, but I think after after the last call for the first part of Virtual Eleven, we stayed drinking for a good while afterwards, which we usually do. And um, at one point, I noticed that you were drinking water, and I went into a New York accent for some reason, and I went, "Are you cracking water? You fucking cracking water?" Yeah, I think you you went on a rant about me cracking water, cracking yeah. water. Are you cracking water? <laughs> cracking water. Whoa, 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 whoa! You cracking water? Basically means having a water instead of having a beer, apparently, in my head somehow. Um, but anyway, there you go. So that was are... an egregious mistake by me at, at that point in the night. <laughs> it certainly was. Um, yeah. A, a, a schoolboy error, some people might say. Not me, but some people. Um, I think at that point it was probably midnight or so for me and would have been 5 a.m. for you. And you were still... <laughs> drinking the what was it again some oh was that the brandy night i can't remember was it right yeah and you're mixing it with saliva brandy and saliva yeah because i know mixers yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) um okay so this is part two of virtual 11 and we left off last time after only having covered two songs so we're gonna start with lightning strikes twice it's track track three on uh, Virtual Eleven, which is, let's just remind people, it's probably one of the most hated Iron Maiden albums, or certainly in the bottom three anyway. Uh, I'd say bottom four with its other three 90s album counterparts. Um, would you agree? I would probably have it at my 
number negative uh, three. Yeah, so the third worst in my mind, with fear of the dark yeah. being worse, and probably no prayer. I do like it. It's mostly like most of these songs. Most of the songs of Virtual Eleven, I'd say, are good to great. Yeah, but in, in Iron Maiden terms, like good isn't good enough. If you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, no, I do. I wasn't yeah. trying to sound sarcastic there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 Andrew, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, like this so, song is we... good. Lightning strikes twice. I would say it's good, not great. All right, so let's hear a little bit of the opening riff there. Um, we're going to start uh, Lightning Strikes Twice, track three. So I love this opening riff. Actually, um, this is a Murray Harris Very composition. Dave Murray, yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it's got that melodic kind of Dave Murray um, drawn out. Uh, the notes are kind of elongated style. Okay, not too much to remark on there, other than I think it's uh, nice and melodic. This word I will use about 75 times in this episode of Feckin' Metal, because it's my only adjective I have to describe music, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Well, see, there's this melody, and it is it resembles a melody, and therefore it's melodic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, uh, so, But it, to me, actually, that's kind of very much the, um, the coming sound of Iron Maiden in, in the next decade. I can't quite put yeah, slow intros. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to put your finger on, but it's the tone as well. It's the tone of the guitar and it's even the notes that are chosen to be played. Um, it, it just gives the sound of maybe Brave New World and even albums that came after that and maybe all the next few albums that came after that. This riff is kind of an early glimpse of, of that type of style, which was going to become commonplace on the next few Iron Maiden albums. Yeah, there's also some resemblance to like older Dave Murray written tracks, like I don't know, Still Life. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Public Enema. I think I think that had a slow intro. I can't remember, but um, yeah, it's just it's a slow kind of slow builder, but then and also the first verse kind of is also slow, and then it kicks into like a you know, more of a powerful sound. Powerful in a balladic sense. <laughs> not quite, not quite. Not this time. Okay. Um, so let's just have a look at the title first before we move ahead. So uh, all we've heard so far is the opening riff, which is interesting. And, it's, you know, I, I mean, I'd be if I was hearing this for the first time, I'd want to know where this is going. I'd, I'd continue listening. I wouldn't skip it, certainly. Um, but this, the phrase lightning strikes twice, what does that mean to you? It's probably part of a longer phrase, like lightning never strikes twice or that type of thing. But what, what does that mean to you as a as a human man? It, it, to me, it's, you know, in a lightning storm, lightning could strike anywhere on the planet Earth. Like, and, and the odds of lightning striking twice on the same spot or even close to the same spot is astronomically high or low, I guess. Yeah. So just like, you know, maybe it's just fate, you know, one in, one in a trillion type event that happens if it strikes twice in, in the same spot. And that's kind of what I think they're 
maybe getting at is that this the narrator has had some catastrophic experience and that he's kind of sensing that it's going to be happening again. Like, Oh my God, this happened to me once. And it feels like it might be happening again. Yeah. Okay. And that's fair enough. You kind of explained it literally and and then kind of scientifically there, but then you went into a more colloquial thing, which I was gonna, I was hoping you might get to, I've looked up a couple of definitions of this online and the, Merriam-Webster dictionary goes uh, in to say the definition of lightning lightning never strikes and in brackets the same place twice. Uh, it's used to say that a very unusual event is not likely to happen again to the same person or in the same place. But the example they give is the team was lucky to get that win, but may not do as well next time. Lightning never strikes twice. And in that instance, that's saying it's in, in a positive sense. Like it would be positive if lightning were to strike twice uh, in that case, oh, because see. they get, get a win. Now, other sources kind of give it the negative um, example, which I'll give you an example from uh, knowyourphrase.com. Uh, I witnessed a robbery at a gas station and now I'm afraid to ever set foot in one again. However, I do need gas for my car. <laughs> Plus the chances of that happening is probably low. Lightning never strikes the same place twice. So in that example, it's negative. And there's a few other examples I found online, positive and negative. It seems to be more skewed towards the phrase being indicative of a negative situation happening for a second time but it can also be something positive um and i've yeah. certainly heard it myself in, in in a positive sense as well so basically it's the recurrence of something that happened highly improbable but it seems like it might happen again that i think that's what we can take from that yeah yeah that's kind of what i was reading as well like i did some searching and then i found like this guy i think it was on a maiden forum or something he went into the whole like physics and like scientific explanation of what lightning is, you know, buildup of electrons in a cloud and like trying to reach the the earth, like in the, in the most uh, efficient way. And so I guess like yeah. a lot, a lot of modern buildings now are built with lightning rods. So, mm. so they had like at the top of a, like the empire state building, for instance, like they have like a huge lightning rod and apparently lightning can strike that light lightning rod like many times in a single storm so it's like yeah, a, that, you know, it's a track design yeah 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 it's kind of cool i don't know i thought that was like a, you know, that's I, I don't think that's what they're going for in this in this uh in this song <laughs> you're not going for the, the lightning rod of the empire state building <laughs> yeah. or are they no um, okay so let's play the next bit now uh, blaze comes in here with his vocals Okay, so that's just the intro bit there with Blaze. I've put in on my put in. I've written in my notes that uh, Blaze's vocals are warm and welcome. I really like his singing voice on the opening of this track. Yeah, it's you can tell it's kind of more written to his register in the, on this whole album. Um, I had a note here that I like compared to the X Factor. The lyrics generally on this album are simpler. Uh, like yeah. it's pretty. It's I don't know. Like this whole song is kind of just building up to that 
repetitive chorus at the end about lightning striking twice. And it's kind of, I, I don't, I don't think there's much depth to these lyrics. Um, oh, au contraire, Mr. DeBroy, au contraire. <laughs> well, maybe there is, but uh, you know, it's up to, it's up to each individual's interpretation. Uh, but I, yeah. in my mind, it's like, you know, something happened and that was in, improbable and it's, it might happen again. Uh, but, uh, but I will say in this first little verse, uh, not very long before the storm reaches here. And then I put in brackets, Bruce, question mark. <laughs> I know. And I, do you know what I think? I think we're really going to annoy the shit out of people with this. But uh, I don't I don't care because it's original and I've never heard it before. And uh, I'm going to spin the whole album. <laughs> for, sure, for sure. And tough shit if you don't like it. Do you know, one thing I wanted to say, though, was uh, I love the little inflections that Blaze puts on words like, um, off in the distance, the lightning is flashing yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of like um, Axl Rose, not how it sounds, but the way he puts his own inflection on words like, my or something like that. And I think Blaze has his own character. And Bruce Dickinson doesn't really have that, really. Uh, but Blaze, like, you know, it's him um, because of the way he says things like distance. <laughs> and uh, I think it's really good, actually. It's, it's All unique. All of my life, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have believed. <laughs> but I, I love it, though. And I, I like it's Yeah, he's, he's it's enjoyable. unique. It's enjoyable to listen to, but it's enjoyable to try and mimic as well, at, usually at 3 a.m. in a London pub. Um, yes. Anyway. <laughs> hopefully that get that experience will be repeated again this year well maybe it might be a belfast pub but yeah, um, yeah. come to ireland come to ireland <laughs> that should get people to come come to ireland to watch iron yeah, Maiden, eh? yeah. <laughs> oh you're adding a canadian twist i was actually there yeah so yeah. andrew have you booked your flight to ireland i have not yet uh, but I've requested the time off from work and I got it approved. So the next step is to book, book the flights. And I looked up, I looked them up. So there is a flight from Ottawa on that Friday that would arrive in Ireland, I think 10 AM or noon or something the next day. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it should work out just fine. Excellent. Okay. We won't sidetrack too much with that. Yeah. Um, Suffice to say, see you in Belfast. Well, Dublin. Dublin first, then Belfast. Dublin, then Belfast. Excellent. Uh, Excellent news. Um, and we'll update the listeners with any more news about that. But uh, yeah, so we've we've heard the first few lines from Blaze there. Um, and then it kind of gets a bit heavier and it kicks in here about 53 seconds. Is it the rolling of thunder that scares you? Is it the crashing of clouds that hold I love that actually, again. Yeah, and actually, so there was one thing I wanted to say. Sorry, before we um, comment on that piece, there, I don't think I've ever heard the word expectance in my life before. Have you? Expectance, um, but maybe, maybe in a probably in a song though. You can't think. So of it was just song, the opening but... line. Yeah, I feel the breeze on my face in expectance, and I looked up the word. And do you know when a word is actually a word? And there's lots of credible dictionary. Um, 
hits in the Google search. Like, let's say you looked up the word lightning, for example, you'd see lots of references to the definition of the word lightning. But when you look up expectancy, you only get these little shitty B B grade dictionaries, like uh, online dictionaries, um, giving you their um, definition of it. So I think this is one of these harassisms. I don't know if that word actually really exists. Um, it's apparently it's uh, synonymous. Uh, Mer- Merriam-Webster, yeah. Uh, oh, but then it just says expectancy. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So it's one of these ones that's like uh, it's not really. I don't know. I would have thought expectation. I feel the breeze on my face and expectation. Yeah, I guess that wouldn't. You needed wouldn't to cut a syllable there. Yeah, or two. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to say um, I have never heard that word before. I'm putting it down as a harassism, even if you're not. Yeah, but, no, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so it, I, I like the bit where it kind of gets heavy there. Um, is it the rolling of thunder? It's fucking fantastic. And the riff, it just gets uh, just heavy enough, you know, like shit's about to go down. Hasn't quite gone down yet, but I think Blaze sounds really confident here in his delivery. Yeah, the first the first little verse is kind of like a calm calm before the storm there and there's sort of like he and he's also kind of saying it's the calm before the storm in that first little breeze or sorry first first verse he says i feel the breeze first breeze i feel the breeze on my face so that first little breeze he's he's feeling the storm coming and then at that what at 53 seconds when we just heard that then it's like is it the rolling of thunder you know the and the the storm seems to be starting at that point yeah so we've kind of referenced that exactly yeah so we've kind of referenced that um not not long before the storm reaches here okay like let's say that was about bruce dickinson returning and steve steve has written this song by the way this time not plays are they writing about the same thing who knows second verse um he says but all I know, as I sit in a corner alone, it takes me back to my childhood again. Now, Steve Harris doesn't strike me as the type of person who was sitting in the corner alone as a child. He strikes me as somebody who was out on the street playing football, getting up to no good, going and learning his bass guitar, and I don't know, probably underage drinking. I don't get the impression that he would sit in the corner alone as a child. Do you? Maybe, maybe he's referencing that, you know immature child you know ir- irrational fear because he references fear before that mm. you know, when in a storm like i don't know children are often afraid of storms because it's the rolling thunder that scares you and then you kind of just go sit in the corner as if like just i can't wait for this to be over yeah sort of feeling do you th- and then let's look at it metaphorically then do you think steve harris waits for storms to pass and hides from them or does he confront them and does he tell them what's what have a good have a word with them each with the storms <laughs> well and then he okay well yeah that's a, that's a good thing to reflect no, on but, no, but i'm asking you what what do yeah. you think do you think he's the type of person who shies away from confrontation let's say a storm is is a metaphor for a confrontation or do you think he's the type of person who just meets a head on and and just does what needs to be done he seems like a nice bloke, uh, but he, I, I would say he probably is more passive. Like he doesn't come across as a guy who's very confrontational. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. What, what do you think? I think that he is when it's necessary and that he can very easily step into the role of being 
confrontational, not deliberately or like aggressively confrontational, but when it needs to be done, when business needs to be taken care of, for example, when somebody needs to be fired from the band, we've heard many accounts of him going up to the person in, in person and addressing it with them saying, look, we're going to move in a different direction. Right. You're yeah. Not, you're not in the band anymore. And he did that to Blaze. I think Rod was there as well. But um, I wonder, is this something about him writing about the inevitable confrontation he may need to have? And right now he's not ready to confront it. He wants to sit in the corner like a child and wait for the storm to pass. But he knows, really, he's feeling the breeze on his face and expectance of what's to come. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds about right. I think, yeah, definitely <laughs> like he's he's not afraid to get into confrontations legally or otherwise just to kind of put his, <laughs> his, his kind of stamp on things yeah so, so he's, um he's quiet he's quiet in his own way but he's also he knows how to, to to claim what's his i guess yeah and then if you look at the third verse there he's like and as i wait and i look for an answer to all the things going around in my head i ask myself could it be a disaster and when it's maybe it's maybe threatening to happen again. So this seems to be something, as we said, like something that's already happened, and now it seems to be happening again. Do you think there's something in the idea that it might be to do with Blaze needing to be fired, like Paul Diano, for example, needed to be fired because he wasn't passing muster, he wasn't cutting it as the singer. Uh, and we all we all know, like in the X Factor, if you look at any of that footage, Blaze wasn't really cutting it either uh, as a singer for Iron Maiden. He wasn't able to do the lengthy tours and. Unlike Bruce, who left Iron Maiden in the middle, Paul was fired after two albums, and now it looks like maybe Blaze has to be as well. And is, is, is this Steve saying, I ask myself, could it be a disaster and when it's maybe threatening to happen again? <laughs> I mean, now that we've uncovered the real meaning behind this whole album, <laughs> <laughs> the, no the notes that I have, it's like, okay, so the person, this narrator, they've gone through a lot. They've been through a disaster. And they they kind of see the signs that it's it's gonna happen again, but like in the in the context of Bruce coming back or having to fire Blaze, like it's it just seems pretty obvious. Like yeah, he's he's waiting and looking for an answer. He knows. So this is written in 1998 and 1999. It all, you know, Bruce came back, Blaze was let go. I think for sure that has some impact on these lyrics because he's thinking about it. He doesn't want it to happen. He kind of sees it as a disaster because Blaze is a human being and like a mm. good human being. And you don't yeah. want to like, that's just the tough part of business and life. But sometimes you have to make really difficult decisions. And in his mind, it's a disaster. And, so, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I, I mean, like, I, th I think if you think Steve is actually writing, writing about lightning here, you're out of your mind. <laughs> There's no way he's actually just writing about a storm and lightning, like whether he knows it or, or not. <laughs> yeah, imagine he was writing just about literally a lightning striking. Twice. I mean, like whether he knows it or not, his, he's his a physicist. They've manifested themselves into this storm um, metaphor. And like we all know from studying I don't know, English in school. When the weather is bad, it's called pathetic fallacy. It indicates that yeah, the mood yeah. is bad or whatever. And like this is this is that all over, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. For like the ominous light. Uh, definitely something something's something evil is afoot. 
Okay, so I'm going to skip ahead now to, I think, about the third verse, unless you had anything else to say here. Um, my next note just says at 151, it starts to speed up. Sure. Okay, so just before that, I'll just play this. So just there, before we go into the faster bit, I just wanted to say I find Blaze's delivery here and this song so far excellent and yep, uh, maybe agree. the best song on the album so far. He sounds so confident. So it, it's it's a funny contradiction in that he's actually settling into the role of the singer of Iron Maiden and sounds more comfortable in this new skin of his. Yet, we all know what's about to happen. And if you do read between the lines, whether there's anything there or not, it seems like subconsciously maybe everyone knew his time was uh, limited. The hourglass was ticking away. So it's a weird juxtaposition of his impending exit and also his uh, his easing into the role. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's such a disaster, you know. Like, yeah. Anyway. And then like we all kind of it's it's been widely spoken about in the press as well that Blaze thought they had a third album in them. Uh, but you wonder, was he being a bit naive or when he gives interviews, is he being a bit deliberately naive, like he, do you th- I, I don't know. To me, it seems like he maybe he did know. Like if you, as again, like if you watch videos from '96, he can't really sing the songs on stage. And yeah, if you like, if you were him, you'd only have to be lying to yourself, like to pretend that you were able to sing the songs. Like, and he, he really wasn't, despite his best efforts. So I think he must have known, like that his time was kind of taken away by this stage. Yeah. And- Blaze is awesome, though. I just have to say that, like, he's you know, every interview. He, I, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing him or hearing him say anything bad about how how it ended with Maiden and how, his time with Maiden, and like, and then he went on and had like a really good solo career after that. So, oh yeah, like, I, I won't, I wouldn't take anything. Kudos to him, Un, unlike Paul Diano. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. No, no, like nothing against Blaze at all, personally. But like, if you're yeah, for sure, for sure. But like, I don't know the 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 more you know, classic Maiden songs. You could tell he really struggled with. Yeah, like exactly. And yeah, I don't know. Number of the Beast. Like, yeah, and Two Minutes to Midnight. I was kind of yeah. It's just, yeah, they just sound weird. With not weird, but you know, he it's just it's not it's not written for Blaze, and you can and you can tell. And like, okay, yeah, like and nothing against Blaze. Exactly, yeah. Like, and I mean, I, I have the same opinion. He seems really nice. I've met him in person. He has been nice. I had him on my podcast, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I'm setting all that aside just to analyze what's going on here. And I think probably he knew that he wasn't really fitting the bill. And I think everyone else knew as well. It's like, why did you get this guy? Even though I love the albums he's on and I love his solo stuff as well, I think he wasn't the right fit and certainly not in a live setting. And that's really what Iron Maiden's bread and butter is going out on tour. Yeah. Have you watched many um, live or uh, did, I don't know, you, I guess you were too young when Blaze was in the band. Yeah, I, I, I would have like, been. There's not too much live, there's not much li- good live footage of I don't know if there, there's Blaise. not much good live footage because I don't know if there's any good live footage of them. <laughs> yeah, like it's just boot, bootlegs of of any random songs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can get ex- examples here and there of him singing the songs from his own era 
well enough. But I think he even struggled with those, to be honest. And the length of the tours and probably the travel and all the stuff that he wasn't used to. Anyway, let's not get caught up in that because I think we talked about that a lot in right. the last episode as well. <laughs> but um, so we'll go on to the next bit now. It's like 151, 152, and the basic riff kind of leads into the pre-chorus here. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, to me, there's lots in that, but I want to hear what you have to say about that first. I I really like how there's a lot of passion, and especially when he says like. Lone dog house in the park, mm. you know, lightning flashlights dark. Mm. <laughs> I love, I love that. Like, you know, it's typical kind of blaze vocals. Um, as for the lyrical content itself, like this is where it's kind of getting darker and it's foreshadowing something that is coming. Something is coming that, you know, everyone knows is going to be quite uh quite a calamity or a disaster and god only god knows mm. i don't know they they make some other references to god throughout their discography yeah i feel like yeah you know um, this this guy's only a man and he doesn't know what's gonna come but god does yeah i think it's like yeah. part of the the selective theism of iron maiden sometimes they believe in god as a unit, yeah. sometimes they don't. Here they seem to. To me, to me, this is um, bearing in mind that Steve most likely wrote these lyrics. I know it's Murray Harris, but I doubt Dave Murray wrote the lyrics. Um, Steve wrote them for sure. Yeah. So I like the line, there's a lone dog howls in the park. Is the lone dog, Blaze Bailey, um, is he howling in the park? Because maybe in this mind kind of image that Steve Harris has drawn up for himself, he's, he's picturing how Blaze is going to react uh, when this impending bad news happens or this impending ominous light that's drawing near when it comes to light or however you want to phrase that i'm doing a bad job <laughs> here a hatchet job um but yeah like to me the lone dog howling in the park is that blaze bailey uh is uh, is Steve, are Stephen blaze in the in the first few tracks of this song or at this album separately writing lyrics to do with the same concept blaze in future real and steve in lightning strikes twice um is lightning strikes twice intended to represent the downfall of Blaze, like the downfall of Paul Diano? I've written here. I've already touched on that. Um, and I definitely think the storm is a metaphor, not to be taken literally. Blaze, to me, Blaze has no ties in the band really here. Like even in 1998, where everyone else, like Bruce, has more ties in the band. Uh, oh, Blaze's only real tie to the band before he got the gig was that Wolfsbane supported um, Iron Maiden on the No Prayer on the Road Tour. But that, that's kind of it. Um, he is the lone duck. Yeah, maybe he is. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but like, of course, we're going to keep drawing on that theme as we go through the album. But uh, yeah, I think that I think that is for sure. Like, you, you picture him on his own outside and like the rest of the band is kind of watching him outside and being like, oh, no. Poor guy. <laughs> then then uh, then then the line only God will know 
is is kind of like Steve Harris to me, distancing himself from the decision making process. He's like, well, it's in God's hands now, and you're kind of thinking, well, it's not. It's in your hands. You're going to instigate this, and he's kind of ins- insinuating that fate yeah, is involved yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. Like, saying it's in saying it's in God's hands means like there's a predestined fate um, that you know will befall everybody, and maybe Blaze Bailey's fate. Steve has decided is that he gets <laughs> fired from Iron Maiden, but. There's no such thing as fate, as Terminator 2 would say. Uh, the, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. So maybe Steve should have listened to Sarah Connor and not his selective theism mm. in her thoughts. Selective theism. I, I like that term. You think it's a bit of a cop-out? Oh, absolutely. It's a cop-out. It's like, only God will yeah. know my eye, Steve. Yeah. You know. You know what needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only God. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Blaze. It was God. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Any any other comments about this part of the song here? Um. No, oh, I think we. So. Uh, yeah, the storm's nearly here. So let's see what happens next. Okay. I'm gonna skip ahead to um to two forty seven, uh, and we're gonna be here in the chorus. <laughs> Which is um, repeated a number of times. <laughs> Wait, no. So there's there's another verse right before. Uh, you're sitting alone. You watch as the winds blowing treetops and the swaying rustling of leaves. Plenty of time to perceive as you wait for rain to fall. Yeah, it, it's that's that's. I don't think it's like as I said before. It's just kind of simple, not very deep. It's building up. Yeah, we get it. Like there's lightning that is coming or people are hurrying inside. Wind is blowing on the treetops, mm. like rustling of leaves. It's not uh, It's not that deep in my mind. Like it's just yeah. sort of simple. But I, th- I think that little verse there was a bit kind of fluff. It was unnecessary. That's why. I, yeah, I that's to... what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of simple, simply written. And yeah, like, I think that was kind of just to lengthen the song a bit or something. I, I, I skipped over it just because I, I didn't see anything interesting in it. Nothing stood yeah. out to me. So, yeah, so the, uh, me talking about it for five seconds is sufficient to <laughs> yeah, skip to the it's chorus. It's been covered. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Right, so we have Blaze Bailey essentially telling us eight times in a row that maybe lightning will strike twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, so maybe lightning will st- strike sixteen. Yeah, Blah! maybe lightning will strike sixteen times. It's too smart for my own good there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I like the delivery of the chorus, but it really is. A- I actually do. I it's you know it gets made fun of because it's just he can't really keep up with the the pace of it it's just like i, don't know, I see people write about it or make fun about make fun of it on online or whatever and you know just put strike twice kind of all in caps maybe yeah. lightning strike twice yeah <laughs> but like it's it's catchy and and i kind of i kind of like it the and the first time the first time i listened to virtual 11 way way back i don't know what when, when it would have would have been I probably would have put, based on my very limited knowledge of the band at that time, I mm-hmm. had Lightning Strikes Twice as my favorite song 
Wow. On this album, but you know, then I did some more listening. But back then, there was a time that Lightning Strikes Twice was my favorite. But now, of course, it's Angel and the Gambler. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that goes. Of course, goes without saying. Naturally. Uh, okay, so I'm just having a look here. Um, they did try and play Getting, this, by the way. Or sorry, they did play this on the tour actually, and it, pl- it was played almost as much as any other song on that tour. So, I. Uh, they played the education. Did you listen to the live? I have in the past, actually. Yeah, but I must. I must go back and listen. I didn't listen to it in advance of this. Um, but yeah, it was played eighty-seven times, and I'd say that's kind of tough going because that chorus is uh, is tricky. Like you have to go yeah, straight into and it again and again. And he struggles and again. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does struggle listening to the to the live. I, I listened to the, uh, on YouTube earlier today. Actually, I might stick a little. He does struggle with it. I might stick a clip. I don't have one to hand of the live version in here. So if you hear it, I've just done that. And if you don't, I'm sorry, I haven't. There's also a, um, um, you know, Thomas Zwigson. Yeah, yeah. They they do a version, and it actually like it sounds really good. I don't like Blaze. I feel has gotten his vocals have improved over the years. I agree. The way they the way they do this song, I think it was recorded in 2018, and he really like this. He doesn't sound like he's struggling at all on this chorus. So no, it's worth a listen as well. Um, I would imagine for this album, for Virtual Eleven, that the chorus was just copied and pasted. That's what it sounds like to me. But I don't know about this. Kind of like Mother one. of Mercy, right? I yeah. Think. Although that's really obvious. This is probably a bit less yeah. obvious. Um, so let's um, let's have another listen now. It's going to go into the solos here. Yep. So I'm, I'm saying at this point now it's going to a new person solo, but maybe it's not. What do you think? Yes, uh, the first one descended, um, which was Dave, and I think that the first one, Dave's, is like incredible solo. I love that solo. But then I think yeah. it's excellent, and I I think the the solos on this album are overlooked often by people, uh, but they're really competent, and in this case, excellent. The second one. Yannick solo, the the second solo. I I think it kind of it's it has a weird tune to it. I don't know. It kind of like kills the momentum of what Davy just did, and like that that for like if you I, I don't know. It, then it kind of it, then like it finishes pretty strong, but that first like yeah, it's a weird tune. 
to it. Like, I, I don't know. There's something weird about it. It's like the first part of it is like somebody plonking their hand on the piano keys or something like that. Yeah. A completely different sound to the Dave solo. Okay. So we led into another part there. But yeah, so yeah, two completely different kinds of solos. Uh, we're saying the second one is curious. We'll blame Yannick on the second one. Um, and now we're into this kind of riff. Um, this album is kind of full of this type of stuff. Like it's just a, it's a pretty simple, slow, melodic riff. Um, but it's one of the staples of Virtual Eleven, these types of riffs. Yeah. Very maidenly. Okay, and then like to me, I don't have anything else to say about this really. That's all I got to say about that. Um, but um, it's to me, it's a, it's three. It's two out of three for a decent song so far on Virtual Eleven. Really, I would say three out of three. No, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, Angel and the Gamblers. All right, you know it's got its flaws, but I think it's catchy. But yeah, this song. How would you feel? I had a question here. How would you feel if Bruce did this song? I was actually, I meant to say, because I did take a note earlier, I must just skip past it. I would love to hear Bruce giving this a go. Now, it would be cool. I don't know if he would do it as well as Blaze, actually, because it's written with that deeper, slightly more aggressive, angry Blaze vocal in mind. And I don't know if Bruce sounds convincing when he tries to sound angry. Um, I'll give you an example, Be Quick or Be Dead, which I think is a great song. Um it's I don't know. There's a there's an element of it which is slightly unconvincing. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think Bruce should always have a, a bit of a melody in his voice and not an angry rasp. But when Blaze is barking out, maybe lightning strikes twice. I fucking believe him that maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how Bruce would do with the chorus, but like the one line that kind of reminds me of Bruce a little bit is the lone dog howls in the park and then lightning. Yeah. Flashes, flashlights, dark. It's like a fear of the dark. Yeah, yeah. No, alone in the park. Yeah, that's uh, anyway. I think he he Bruce. I think it could do an admirable job of it, but it's still, you know, like any song in this album is, like it's a Blaze song first first and foremost. The thing about this is I think the days are long past of them ever experimenting with doing anything like this again. Like they're such a big production band now. Every tour since Bruce came back to the band has been a bigger production than the previous one. And it's it's just getting worse or better, <laughs> depending on how you yeah. look at it. So they're never going to just be like, oh, what if we mess around with the set list and true a few of these? Like, it's going to be a huge fucking thing. There's going to be five people hired to create two lightning bolts striking the fucking lightning rod on the top of the Empire State Building prop that they need <laughs> for the background of this song. And there's going to be actual lightning striking the stage. And they're like, you know what I mean? It's like, that, w- it's that a- could be cool, though. I think that. Yeah. But yeah. But it, just, it would be, it would be such like, a deep cut. Uh, it would be weird. But it's, it would it would have to be an integral part of the show, like every song is almost these days. And the idea of just flippantly going, oh, maybe Bruce should have a go at Lightning Strikes Twice, unless they somehow do end up doing a stripped down tour like they said with Senjutsu and they play a few songs at the end of that, which I'm not even confident they would do because the album itself is 80 odd minutes. I think that would just be the show and get off and go home. Um, 
I, that's, I think that's the only situation where we'd ever see that. And I don't see that ever happening again. Unfortunately, as much as I'd love to see it, every show we were going to get from Iron Maiden now is going to be for part of some themed production until they finish. And that, well, that's just my opinion, but it's based on the, the past 20 years kind of educating me that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't see them like they well, especially like if if we just think about the legacy of the beast, like there's three kind of different themes or worlds. Yeah. I don't think uh, I wouldn't see this kind of fitting in with I don't know. Like it's more of a stripped down. Like if you look at their stage productions back in the 90s, very much stripped down like not too much like visual. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But they were more they were more likely to change up the set list from night to night in the nineties. Um, they didn't make a big, like huge, frequent kind of habit of it. Like, but they did do it. If you go back and look at setlist.fm from the tours in the nineties and even some in the early two thousands, they're much more likely to throw in a song or change up a song than they are now, which just doesn't really happen anymore. Do you think that's a function of blaze uh what do you mean like if if it wasn't blaze singing like maybe he maybe they switched up the set list because blaze wasn't feeling that song that night or maybe he didn't perform it as well in the previous performance or whatever yeah i I even mean in um there are the 90s with bruce for example on the um the no prayer tour they experimented with a few songs and then on the fear of the dark tour which is in two parts they had two completely different set lists one of them had loads of old stuff being sung for the first time in years like remember tomorrow and prowler and all that stuff and then one of them was more focused on the latter day um so uh, like they were definitely like you wouldn't get iron maiden going out on consecutive tours now in in 92 and like they did in 92 and 93 uh, where they almost like change half of the set list like they just don't really seem to do that anymore the only time I recall they ever in the in the modern era that they did that I think was in the Brave New World tour when they added, um, what was it, uh, Out of the Silent Planet? Yeah, at the end, and they only played it twice I think, and with one other Brave New World track, and they only played it twice ever. Yeah, which is a, yeah. such a shame. Like Out of the Silent Planet is one of the best. I know, yeah, I know. And, and it was released as a single. You think it would have more of a chance to get in there. But anyway. Well, maybe there's another reason why they don't play it. But sure. Yeah, and, and there could be all these reasons, yeah. And like, I mean, it's probably much easier for a group of 60-odd-year-old men to just go out and play the same set list every night and fucking yeah. <laughs> and go, go to bed and get some sleep and not be worrying about it, the whole thing, Um, which is fair enough. Let's give them a trouble. Yeah, the like Metallica, on the other hand, though, like they do a, a completely different set list. And I think Judas Priest as well, they kind of switch it up as they as they go through the tour but and i i kind of wish maiden did that because i i, I don't know I, I i'm kind of of two minds on it i think having that predictability and knowing what you're going to see is is nice because you can prepare for it and you know what's coming next but at the same time for a diehard fan you could they could play any song and you would know it and it would be like it, there could be that element of surprise, but with the Maiden show, there never really is that element of surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, like, and I agree. And I think this has probably been covered before by us and, and others um, only recently, maybe even in Sujutsu episodes. But um, I, um, 
I, yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. As, as much as I'd love it, as, as much as I'd love them to whip out fucking hooks in you, just for some, <laughs> just for the novelty, <laughs> the novelty aspect of it, like just for something different. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, if they started playing hooks in you, every cunt in the audience's phone would be filming it more so than any other song. They <laughs> <laughs> Weekend Warrior. Oh my god, they fucking they break the internet with Weekend Warrior. <laughs> Man, that would be hilarious if they did that. Just like one show on a random in a random city, like just they yeah. played some even like Angel and the Gambler. If they played that. It would uh, be great. And you you think they might just do it just to troll people. Just for I would laugh. love that. That would be so Or fun. to make a headline even. Or just even go into a few bars of Weekend Warrior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be brilliant. Anyway, look, yeah. let's forget about Weekend Warriors and move on to Clansmen. Uh, so this is the next song on Virtual Eleven, and one of the more famous songs of Iron Maiden, I'd say, from their latter career. Uh, it's it's carved out its own status as an almost classic, I would say. Yeah, it's. I would say it's it is a classic. Well, I was having this discussion with them. Do you know? Uh, I'm sure you do from Twitter, Caveman Ninja. He was on Uncle Steve's podcast there a while ago. Um, nope, I don't. Uh, okay, well, he's fairly fairly prominent, and he interacts with you know a lot of the regulars that we would. And um, I I mentioned that I thought that uh, um, what's the, the reincarnation of Benjamin Brie was a classic, a latter day classic, and he was like, oh, I, I wouldn't know if it's a classic. He's like, to me, classic means that uh, everyone would know it, just like Run to the Hills or mm. the Beast. People who aren't even necessarily fans of the band would know it. And I was like, okay, fair enough if that's the definition. And I think it's a fair definition. So I'd say this is borderline. I'd say maybe some people who aren't too big fans of Iron Maiden might know this because it's just so catchy, uh, the chorus and all that. But I'd say maybe it's just a little rung below. Um, Maybe the fact that it's on the Legacy of the Beast tour kind of solidifies the classic status. Do you know what I think they've done? Classic or epic? like epic uh, yeah yeah i think they've kind of forced it into being a classic they've just decided since uh since the brave new world tour they're like this is a classic we've decided that not you uh tough shit we're gonna keep playing this they played it again on the give me ed tour and then they brought it back for this so i think they've just said right we've decided it's a classic so mm-hmm. like it or lump it and in fairness everyone on the the um Whatever it, what the, geez, what's it called? You just said it. The Legacy of the Beast tour. Mm-hmm. The audience was singing along to it. It's a pretty easy sing sing along. Well, there's a, a few different parts where you could sing along with it. So, yeah. Um, do you mind if we take a uh, piss break? <laughs> no. Yeah, you have to hold in the piss for the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Go for it, yeah. Go for okay. This. I might grab another beer too. All right. All right. All right. Be right back. Um, so I'm moving on from a Germania 4.8. That's my second one of these, actually. Onto a Steam Brew a German Red, uh, 7.6%. Wow. <clears throat> so expect me to get more belligerent and opinionated. Uh, this will be number four of these guys. So, All right. Yeah. Well, I was having the 0.9% shandies earlier on, but they don't even count really as alcohols. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> You'd have to have like 15 of them to have anything. To have a can of Heineken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's let's play the uh, opening of The Clansman and um, let's see how we get on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright. Kind of sounds like that to the Celts, no? That's the note I have written. <laughs> that's for you, Wayne. Like, that's... It's it's kind of an iconic intro now. It, it's so widely known in maiden circles. Anyway. And um, I don't know what else is there to say about that. It's kind of the first of, of its kind with those intros. Um, I know there were some similar ones on the X Factor, but ones that really draw from that Celtic influence or the Celtic feel later on we had we had Blood Brothers and Death of the Celts obviously as well which would use this kind of similar style yeah, but that's the first one any thoughts yeah it's like the, the note that I have written which is very similar to the note that I had when we talked about Senjutsu and Death of the Celts it makes me picture being in sort of like the foothills or I guess the highlands of Scotland or something, or or also like I don't know if you play many video games, but it kind of reminds me of like Skyrim or one of those kind of games where you're like running through the mountains and like, yeah, no, I haven't played that. No, um, is that a role playing game type thing or or like yeah, a free like open a world type game? Adventure role playing game, yeah, sort of. So it's and you can like run through between different cities and. Um, tribes and stuff and uh, between in the mountains and okay that's where kind of like that kind of scenery I, I i picture and it's like a steve steve harris i think has said that he, he that was kind of what he was going for with like kind of that acoustic bass intro you're kind of setting up that like celtic sort of scenery okay um so yeah let's play uh, let's play on and we'll get to the kind of more sophisticated bass. Now the synths come in. Yeah, and you mentioned to me that synths are higher on this 2015 remix, and I kind of have noticed it now upon listening closely. But I have no issue with the synth here. No, it's not, it, it adds to it, I think. I think this is all beautiful. Scene setting. Then we get this kind of bit of Steve now playing the bass. Yeah, I had a note about this little. Go ahead. That, that little first, you know, when this bass starts to speed up a bit. Yeah, it's it sounds like he almost it's a bit sloppy on the album version and. Absolutely. Which is weird, you know. I don't know. Steve is kind of a perfectionist. I wonder if there was a different producer, if they would have done that until it was perfect right because you could you hear that song live and it that first little is perfect when it when the when he plays it live but on the album it's a little weird i don't i don't know you're absolutely spot on and i've written the same thing i've said compare this to rock and rio i said steve's bass intro wasn't mastered until he played it live i mean mastered as in perfected um but i think talking maiden touched on this when they covered virtual 11 as well just to reference that that uh, if it sounds unfinished, and it certainly does, though it, it certainly does sound unfinished. It sounds like he had an, a germ of an idea, and then he went, "Fuck it, that's good enough." It's we've never done this before anyway, so let's just use that. But when you hear it on Rock and Rio, he is flawless. He's like he's practiced it maybe hundreds of more times, um, whereas he sounds like he only practiced this a handful of times. 
Yeah, like I wonder if they had Martin Birch. So it'd be like, Steve, what are you doing, man? Like I was clearly a, like, you know, start from the top, get that one right. Yeah, Mar- Martin Braveheart Birch. No doubt he would have been called. Oh yeah, we haven't so. even mentioned uh, Braveheart yet. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so let's just play Blaze's initial vocals here um, and see if you agree with me. I, I think they sound kind of muffled. So I kind of think like he's almost mumbling those initial lyrics. And again, if you compare that to the Bruce Dickinson song version on Rock and Rio, those opening lines are powerful. Um, like way different to how this is delivered on the album. Is it same when Blaze sings it live? Could it be muffled? I can't recall. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I would imagine he sings them with more power than this, which is like he's... I don't know, singing into a sock or something. Um, <laughs> In the shower. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right that like the live version, at least with Bruce, and I can I can think vividly to Legacy of the Beast when this this first verse he he's definitely not muffled. Like he's he's doing Bruce is doing kind of his lower register on this first little intro. But it's it's very powerful, like like you said, but and not in a balladic sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, also, what I was gonna, what else was I gonna say about this? Um, fuck, I can't remember. Klansman with a with a C. So with a C, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there's that. Like I never thought ever in my life about the idea that this was anything to do with a, a Klansman from the Ku Klux Klan. Oh my like, god! I heard some. I, I heard some people talking about this recently like and maybe it's more of a thing in America where Klansmen actually exist but like that never crossed my mind yet I was always aware of the Ku Klux Klan uh, even as I, I, I like not as a as a child maybe not as a child but I remember hearing about them when I was about 10 or 11 or seeing some piece of a documentary on them or maybe I watched Mississippi Burning or something like that one of those films and I, I was aware of them but I never ever associated this song with that yeah and I think I don't know it's more of a Lines on with a K. I don't know. I think that's, you know, the world has gone very woke, especially lately. And like everyone's looking for something to complain about or to see some sort of friggin' opportunity to cancel or, you know, they're racist or somebody, you know. know. Yeah, yeah. Do you know know what I I like to think of? um, I'm sure you've seen the D. Snyder versus the PRTB clip from the 1980s, where Tipper Gore was campaigning for the the um, the parental advisory explicit content stickers and all on on albums which they deemed to be inappropriate for children. Have you seen this? Have you seen the court or the, not the court, but the kind of the the discussion, the formal discussion they had? And D. Snyder from Twisted Sister was there. No, I never saw that. Go 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 and watch this. It's fucking excellent yeah. because D. Snyder is really articulate and. Um, Basically, there's a Twisted Sister song called Under the Blade, and this was put on the list of the Filthy 15 by the PRTB. Parents something, something, something. I can't remember what it was. And um, Tipper Gore had accused Dee Snyder of sadomasochism 
because he was writing songs called Under the Blade. And uh, Dee Snyder stands up. It's like a courtroom setting, but it's not a court case. And he's like, Tipper Gore was looking for sadism and masochism in the song Under the Blade, and she found it. Where in actual fact, that song is about my buddy who was undergoing an operation. <laughs> it's like, but he continues like that. And he just fucking absolutely destroys her. He's like, I'm a father myself. I have two children. I'm not a sadomasochist. <laughs> and she's just kind of sitting there like absolutely getting owned by uh, D. Snyder in his big fucking denim jacket and his massive hair and everything. And it's just like fucking brilliant. And it reminds me of that. Like people are looking for a Klansman or Ku Klux Klan references. They'll find them if they want. That sounds awesome. I'll, I'll check that yeah. out. All right. So we've played the intro to the Klansman there and uh, talked about Blaze's voice being a little muffled. And then he's into the part. Is it right to believe in the need to be free? So let's have a listen to that. Right, so before the chorus there, uh, I mean, at this point to me, it's blatantly obvious the song is about uh, Braveheart, which couldn't be any more obvious from the next part, uh, which is the the chorus. Uh, I assume you've seen Braveheart and you probably saw it as a child like everyone else. Um, Yeah, when I was very young but i have very little recollection of it but i I did watch the that scene with the speech of they could take our lives but they can't oh, yeah. take our freedom like uh, yeah it's, it's like i run and you will live and stay or sorry run and you may die stay and you will live for a while anyway yeah. but when you're in your dying <laughs> days would you not trade all the days from this day to that for one chance just one chance to say you may take our lives, uh, but you will <laughs> never take our freedom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was perfect. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and I skipped loads there. I forgot to hold the quote, but uh, that was one of my favorite films. That's the whole that's the whole movie summed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was one of my favorite films growing up. And uh, I watched it. It's like it's one of the films I've seen over 10 times. And people will always pull the, it's not historically accurate card. And to them, but I say, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 entertainment. Like it, it's it's inspired by historical events. It's, it doesn't claim to be a true story. I guess it's based on a true true story. Like not not any movie is going to be like 100% historically accurate. Exactly. And it's a, it's a fucking Hollywood blockbuster. Come on. Like. If you're searching for truth in a Hollywood blockbuster, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Mel like Gibson. Gore. Yeah. <laughs> Mel Looking Gibson plays a Scottish guy. Like, mm. anyway. I mean, at least he tries the accent. It's not as bad as Kevin Costner doing Robin Hood and just speaking with his American accent um, and not even attempting to do an English accent. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you make of the lyrics so far? Yeah, so um, is it right to believe in the need to be free it's a time when you die and without asking why can't you see what they do they are grinding us down they are taking our land belongs to the clans so somebody's taking land or they're taking ownership of something anyway let's say metaphorically that belonged to someone else and the people who are having it taken from them are not very happy and i think um 
there might be a, something deeper here. I'm not going to say it's about Bruce Dickinson coming back to Iron Maiden. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's Blaze's land, and he's he's taking a stand. <laughs> no, but uh, so I, I have opinions, but I, I like those lyrics anyway. You know, is it right to believe in the need to be free? Damn sure it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a time when you die and without asking why. Can't you blah blah blah? But um, yeah, I like that. It's it's a nice little kind of. It's still kind of scene setting, I think. Um, for what comes next, and what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I guess it's it's the way and the way, particularly the way Blaze sings it. It's very passionate about you know defending your land and basically any war. Like, what's the point of war? Is basically like defending your land and trying to expand. I guess sort of, or you know, you have your own land and you're trying to defend it. And they're they're taking our land that belongs to the clans. And I guess back then, I think this, like, well, Braveheart was set like in the 1200s or something, like medieval Scotland, Mm. you know, way, way, way back. And um, yeah, I guess I I just, you can feel the passion of the defense of your land. And like I said, I said earlier today that I was probably going to go on a bit of a rant of what's been going on here in Canada. Yes, uh, <laughs> please do. <laughs> please do. So I, I live in, in Ottawa, which is the capital city of Canada. And a couple of weeks ago, there was this, this convoy. So they called themselves the, the Freedom Convoy. Freedom yeah. Convoy. And so they they started from British Columbia, which is way out west, and they drove all the way across the country, all a bunch of truckers and other people that joined them. And they came to Ottawa, and I live downtown Ottawa, which is normally a very sleepy, quiet, you know, homely family type type of city. But they came to Ottawa, and they they with all the trucks, and they parked downtown, and like. They were honking 24-7, like just nonstop honking because they were protesting the the federal mandates of having to have a vaccine passport to cross the border. As a trucker, to go to the United States, you have to have a vaccine, you have to proof of vaccination and and a number of other different... uh, mandates that the federal government had imposed on Canadian citizens. This Mm. whole thing was in regards to freedom Mm. and uh, their goal was to have the federal government drop the mandates. And uh, they had this app as well. The federal government has this app that like keeps track of like it'll track where you were like um, in order to enter the country, whatever it is. But so they wanted, they wanted them to drop this app and then, and to drop the, the mandates, the federal mandates. So the, they were here for about two weeks and, and then our cowardly leader, Justin Trudeau, <laughs> hmm. basically you, de- you and Esmith called him. Oh cowardly. yeah. <laughs> He's uh, yeah, anyway, he's he's he basically dehumanized these people. He called them um do we need to tolerate these people? They take up space. Are they 
um, they have unacceptable views. Like, so basically just demonize their tiny, tiny fringe minority of people in Canada that, that have these type of views unacceptable. And all he needed, all he needed to do was acknowledge that they existed and, 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 they wouldn't have been here this long and then and then eventually he got the he enacted what this emergency act which is so so ridiculous that he did this is emergency act which is meant for situations where the country's under immediate emergency like a war or something like actual emergency and then like the cops had police came in and escorted all these people and it was just like an absolute show of complete mm. political and anyway just that's i won't get too much further into that basically just saying that these people were trying to just advocate for freedom and mm. and they got forcefully removed from the nation's capital like like blaze bailey and william wallace before them they were advocating <laughs> for freedom <laughs> Yeah, and then and then you see what's going on with like Ukraine and Russia and stuff, and and mm. and then it's like, okay, do we do we have this comparison of like, okay, Canadians were fighting for against ma- vaccine and ma- you know mandates or whatever, and then Ukraine they're literally fighting for their lives against this tyrannical dictator, and then. Like, oh, you Canadians, you don't see how good you have it. You don't know what freedom fights for freedom actually is. And it's like, oh, man, like, it's not at all the same. And anyway, so the, the, the whole timing of all of this stuff happening is, I, I think, works in Trudeau's favor because then he can, like, proclaim that he's against totalitarianism and, the, you know, Putin, he's at a enemy and you know he's he's prosecuting these people and he's acting all high and mighty and anyway mm. i just i think it's, it's well, a sickening time on that note i think we should hear the chorus mm. yeah um freedom okay that's that's what, so i went I, I walked through the freedom convoy here in ottawa and i walked and i was i was thinking of this chorus right <laughs> because that's what literally every every flag said freedom that's what we want we're yeah. fighting for freedom you know we don't want these ridiculous mandates that have no scientific basis and and a tyrannical leader that's just imposing them at will and and freezing people's bank accounts and and whatever <laughs> like so i was walking through kind of downtown ottawa where i live and i'm just and i had the clansman playing in my in my head <laughs> freedom as i okay. walked by <laughs> right um yeah i mean it is applicable to a lot of different situations and um i think when we move on to the next verse um when we get over the freedom part well, I'm, I'm trying to look at the lyrics here um, oh, where is it oh yeah it's a time wrought with fear it's a land wrought with change yeah so let's have a listen to it
Okay. So we got the press. We got the message there. So yeah, it's a time wrought with fear. It's a land wrought with change. If like he says, ancestors, but I assume if ancestors could hear what is happening now, they would turn in their graves. They would all be ashamed. That the land of the free has been written in chains. Not sure what written in chains means actually, but I assume it means like chained up. Land of the free. I was wondering about that line too. Written in chains. Hmm. Uh, I was wondering now, and this is kind of maybe a tenuous link, but. Hear me out. Um, it's 1998. Heavy metal is on the down downturn, uh, and it wouldn't be on the upturn or the upswing, let's say, for another couple of years. Uh, maybe actually only a year or two. Um, but 93, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 were pretty bad for traditional heavy metal. Um, maybe Steve himself or the band or the Klansman. And maybe the people taking our land and grinding us down are grunge, death metal, new metal. <laughs> And yeah, all these maybe. other people who came in. And uh, it's a time wrought with fear. What the fuck's going to happen to us? We don't know. It's a land wrought with change. Certainly, the musical climate was wrought with change. If ancestors could hear what is happening now, if they could hear new metal, if they could hear Fred Durst rapping on a metal song. What is this? <laughs> Not in a kind of kitschy way like Aerosmith did, but run DMC and kind of a, you know, a staple of the, the times, more so a defiant new music genre uh if ancestors if black sabbath could hear what is happening now they would turn in their graves they're not dead yet but they might as well be because they're not relevant anymore because it's a time wrought with change and fear and then i'm thinking maybe it's like fighting for the land that's been taken by all these imposters to the throne who are not real heavy metal who are not the old school style of heavy metal and who don't belong there and iron maiden are going to fight for freedom and they're going to fight for what's theirs what's truly theirs and they're going to get it back when the timing is right i will take what is mine they say later on interesting mm. yeah yeah it could be a kind of foreshadowing the new rise oh in iron maiden's career too like they kind of come back to life when bruce comes back and when the timing is right and he'll and then back later on he uh, it says um I swear to defend, we'll fight till the end. They fucking have. They yeah. have been fighting ever since. Yeah. Ever since this, actually. The next, the following yeah. year, they got back together with Bruce and they haven't stopped. Yeah. Like, even for cancer, they have barely stopped. Yeah, exactly. The only but, two things that stopped Iron Maiden were cancer and COVID and both of them hardly made a dent in the back. Yeah, and COVID, again, is that time wrought with fear. True. I don't know. It's just been constant fear everything's uh, and i'm glad to see that it's slowly changing that it's like you know it's just a it's not that severe anymore and i, I feel like restrictions are being lifted and and you know it's less fear being you know constantly communicated in the media and then when i when i had a note about just to slowly go back to our canadian situation not slowly, but briefly. I'll say one more <laughs> yeah. thing. Very slowly. <laughs> slowly, briefly. Turn in their graves, they would all be ashamed. Um, I'm thinking of the forefathers of Canada's history, particularly with there, we have there's a political party that's called the NDP, the New Democratic Party, that's based on um, you know fighting for the the little guy you know, um, standing up for the working class and 
recently in this in this when this whole like emergency act thing the ndp today voted in favor of that kind of against and they and they spoke disparagingly about the truckers and you know the working class and it kind of it made me kind of think who uh, the, the ndp the original leader tommy douglas back in the day i don't know in the early 1900s he was uh, an advocate for the working class. And I think he would be kind of turning in his grave if he knew that the current party was kind of turning their back on the working class. So that, that, that's, yeah. that's what I, uh, yeah, I think they would yeah, yeah, no. be ashamed. So it's, it's a great um, application of the lyrics yeah. here and the sentiments. Yeah. And I think it, I've never less- been a political, I've never been into politics really ever until this whole thing fuck you could have filled me like, <laughs> like I, I don't know i never really had really strong opinions one way or the yeah. other but mm. this whole thing was just it's just turned people into like it's just so polarizing sure and, and like, you know i think i think like with the likes of us i know you're in your what, what age are you know i'm 36 you're what 32 three yeah so same, similar close enough in age but um Say we're I'd say we're at the same stage of our lives, let's put it that way. And um when you're younger, and this is what people always said to me when I was younger, and I didn't give a fuck about politics, people were like, wait until you have a reason to care about it, then you will. And I was like, Oh yeah, whatever. Woo. But like I think when you're younger, you don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak. You don't really care if what political party wins right, the election right. because it doesn't really directly affect you. And then as you grow up a bit starts to affect you a bit more maybe things like rent house prices all that type of stuff and then when there's a big huge thing like this uh, you start to see all sorts of things and you it, you start developing your own opinions and your yeah. own um, yeah. outlook on things and yeah, then you, of all of a sudden human. You, you find yourself caring about politics and then you're like fuck they were right yeah yeah and as a young person you kind of you're uh, maybe drawn in by those nice feelings of you know liberalism and helping your fellow man and spreading the wealth and all that and it's just and then when you grow older you kind of well at least i have kind of realized that a lot of that is kind of fake a lot Mm. lot of the stuff that they say is just posturing and virtue signaling and at least our our leader justin trudeau is (laughs) He says all the right things, and, you know, he says he's a feminist and all, all these things, and, you know, anti-racist and, but yeah. anyway, I, I think it's all just kind of a show. Okay. Right. So let's, let's, let's truck on here. Yeah. Okay, so just another verse there. So swearing that his bairns will be born free, that kind of makes my um, link even a bit more tenuous. Like, who are the bairns? Maybe the, the the next bands who are playing heavy metal. But it's more, I'd say it's more applicable to the likes of what you're talking about, a political situation where um, the people who set out the rules, the founding fathers, maybe maybe that's a bad example, actually. Let's not say that. But like the, the original people who took a stand um, would be turning in their graves if they saw what was going on now. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Any, any further I, thoughts? I yeah. had to look. I had to look up that word, and apparently, it's a Scottish oh. word. 
for child yeah we better yeah we better yeah yeah. Um, yeah i didn't uh i didn't know that what that meant so that, that makes sense now uh so let's move ahead um i have there's a bit of a basic kind of riff here uh around three minutes 36 and it leads us into yeah, the solo i had that this. note as well 336 cool gu- guitar part that leads to the solos yeah yeah This is an example of another one of those guitar solos that we heard in the last song, Lightning Strikes Twice. They're kind of littered all over this album. It's not a guitar solo, but a riff. Like, um, They're all good, but they're not like mind-blowing, but they're, they're perfectly good. Like, Yeah. I like this part, too. It's like a little bridge. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff I'd be humming to myself, and, and when you listen to Rock and Rio, like, the crowd are humming along with all of this. Oh, yeah, I was probably screaming this in, in the crowd at Legacy of the Beast. Screaming it like a halfway. <laughs> this is Pretty a Yannick dominant. solo here. Yeah, I this think is this is one of his best. Brilliant. So we have a couple of solos there, Yannick into Dave, and uh, just a, a like again, this album is always criticized, but I think that the guitar is really strong on it, especially yeah. the solos. Yeah, throughout the whole album, like the solos are very good. And then, then I'm thinking to myself when, when people are criticizing it, I'm like, what do you not like about it? Is it Blaze? Is it just Blaze that you don't like? Because all of the other pieces. Of Iron Maiden are there for me, and they're they're there more so than in the likes of No Prayer and and Fear the Dark. Even in that, like I find there's fifty percent of each of those albums is shit. <laughs> like I like I don't think anything yeah. on this album is shit. That's a spoiler. I think Angel and the Gambler is as close as it comes. But like it's a uh, it, it like to me the quality is just a lot higher than those two '90s Bruce albums. There's like quality control was a bit better. There are some bits that are half finished, maybe, and the angel and the gambler, and maybe Nico's drums, which have been pointed out as well. But to me, drums are, are aren't particularly important. That's yeah. cer- certainly not as important as uh, singing, melodies, guitar solos, riffs, bass, and then I'd say drums. That th- they come in that order, maybe. Like, yeah, definitely the um, the quality of the musicianship maybe is like, oh, especially the, like the solos, like we just heard, and all of the cool guitar melodies that are a part of this whole album and this song too. And like, it's just a, definitely a step above a lot of the early 90s stuff and with Bruce and the band too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like th- th- this composition here, but if you compare it to even some of the better songs on uh, Fear of the Dark, even if you compare it to Fear of the Dark, this is a lot more complex and intricate and uh, musically, I would say impressive than the song Fear of the Dark, even though both songs are kind of anthems and, Fear the Dark is excellent in itself. This song is like 
I would say it was more difficult to write and there was more to it than a song like Fear the Dark. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, some more different parts, uh, different, you know, speed or tempo. And then if we this next part that's coming up is kind of a build up to the to the end and there's a crowd sing along part. No. Okay, so we play this bit. Here we can't let them take anymore. This little fast bass part is kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. Again, it would be better on the live album. So I think this is kind of where the studio version suffers in that this sounds so fucking good live. And it's not Blaze's fault that the live version didn't exist at this point. But um, yeah. like the one that's embedded in my brain is the Rock and Rio version. It's the one I heard yeah. first, and I think it's the best one still. And when I hear this, it's like hearing Fear the Dark, the studio version. It's just not as good. And I don't know, it, it, it pales a little in comparison. Yeah, the live, I think this part, the whole rest of the like, song is built for live, and I, for live setting. Yeah, and I'm hearing Bruce Dickinson going, all right, fucking scream it. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm hearing all those little things. What? You know, all those little things he does about me. But I think Blaze sounds good here. Um, and then we got this bit where Bruce would have said, all right, fucking scream it. So that's the Klansman, possibly predicting the future of the Freedom uh, Convoy that took place in Ottawa in the year 2022, <laughs> or possibly depicting Iron Maiden's place in the heavy metal landscape in 1998 and um, and their plan to reclaim their land and what was taken from them, or possibly just discovering or discussing a three-year-old film, Braveheart, which was released in 1995. Uh, the decision is yours, but probably uh, one of the best songs in the catalogue in my opinion. All of the above, I think. Uh, well, if we, if we look at Spotify plays, the uh, the Klansman is clearly way above all of the other songs on this album. Future Real is as close, as a not so close second. Wow, yeah. So uh, we've got 11 and a half million for the Klansman and Future Real is at 5.7 million or nearly 5.8. Wow. Yeah. That is quite impressive. Uh, yeah, so my last question is do you do you think this is I, I probably know the answer to this already, but Blaze or Bruce version? For me it's the Bruce version. It's the first version yeah. I heard and I might have that bias. But also Really? I thought I was expecting the opposite. No, no, I prefer the Bruce version. Uh, okay, because of Rock and Rio. Because of Rock and Rio, yeah. Well, sure, there's no Bruce studio version. So, yeah, I, I prefer the Bruce version. Yeah. I think he sings it better. And I don't think he sings all of the Blaze songs better. I think I prefer Blaze's version of Lord of the Flies, for example. I know a lot of people don't. Um, right. But I, and I think Man on the Edge, which they didn't really play ever again after the Ed Hunter 
tour um, with Bruce. But I think Blaze thinks that better as well. But um, this is for some, some for some reason to me, this is a Bruce song. And, uh, yeah, it it just is. I, I like Rock and Rio is my favorite Iron Maiden live album. It happened um, to be released around the time when I got into the band, and I bought it. You know, after buying several of the studio albums and I was excited to own it because it was the current live album and maybe I bought it in 2003 when it was released in 2002 but it was still recent and the only song I hadn't heard a, a version of at least on Rock and Rio uh, was The Klansman so I was excited to hear The Klansman because I'd never heard that song before at all and when I put it in I was like Jesus they they like they, they like I always thought with Iron Maiden anytime I heard more stuff that I hadn't heard before like they kept surprising me with how much good material they had and this was no different i was like this is fucking brilliant as well and that like that song i listened to more than any other song on that album initially when i was just playing the meta sequence and uh yeah it's it that's the definitive version for me because of that yeah yeah that makes sense i think i would also agree that the bruce version just sounds so much more powerful in a way and i maybe i uh, there's a little bit of recency bias from seeing it live so many times recently yeah, oh, like that's that song. Like it's just—I don't know. It has some something about it that's just extra, extra powerful with Bruce in it. Yeah, and I, I really just hope they don't cut it now when they have to make room for these Senjutsu songs. Yeah, and I think it—it's I th- like yeah. What do you think is? I think it's probably a likely candidate to get. Well, get either or, or maybe one of. Klansman or Sign of the Cross. I, I was chatting about this on Twitter a while back, and I don't know if you were involved in the conversation, but I mentioned that my prediction would be the Wicker Man for the greater good of God and the Sign of the Cross. Right. That be- that was my prediction too, yeah. Because none of them are particularly interactive, really. And none of them, when you're looking at it from a stage performance standpoint, none of them are crucial to the show either. Whereas I think the Klansman is one of the most interactive songs in the set list. And there's the backdrop of the Klansman, which is, you know, it's not a, it's not a flamethrower, like, you know, for flight of Icarus, but it's still a huge thing. Like, and that Eddie now has nearly become iconic, even though it was never really released for anything other than as a backdrop. I know it's been on t-shirts and stuff, but like it wasn't on an album cover or anything like that or a single, but seeing Eddie dressed up as William Wallace essentially is, is yeah. a huge part of the show. I think. It actually, I I love the artwork for the Klansman. Uh, there's yeah. a, f- a few different uh, a few different artworks, but I think like the one where he's like holding the Scottish flag with like a sword in his hand, and there's yeah. like the English flag in the background. Oh, it's re- it's pretty cool, and he's got like the blue and the white on his face. Yeah, that's should, pretty should we cool. Mention, really cool. Should we mention here actually that um. Should we mention that um, Iron Maiden are giving us a history lesson about how Scotland fought for independence over England? <laughs> yeah, and they're all true. They, and they have given us a few history lessons. But they're all from England, which I think is funny because England were the oppressor in this story, but they're yeah. playing the role of the oppressed, um, which is interesting. You don't find too many bands doing that. Uh, is that like arrogant to do almost? Uh, yeah, maybe. Oh. Or maybe, yeah, they're just trying to educate people on what happened. Well, and also this is like from like a thousand years ago. Yeah, Um, I know. But like, uh, 
I mean, Scotland hasn't forgotten. <laughs> they, tried yeah. to, they tried to secede from uh, the United Kingdom, not only yeah, that's not, true. not too long ago. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they bottled it at the last minute. No. Yeah. Uh, no, but they did though. Um, is, okay. Is there is there much um, rivalry between Scotland and Ireland? No, Scottish and Irish okay. people like each other. Um, okay. I think we find that there is a kind of a kinship between us because we are both oppressed by England uh, for centuries. Uh, so there's that, and then also, and we are both forced to speak English. Scotland doesn't have English as its native language, neither does Ireland. Ireland, both of them have a form of Gaelic or Gaelic as it's known in Scotland uh, or in Ireland, it's known as Gaelga. But uh, we, with the, and those two languages are very similar to one another. Um, so we were oppressed by England. Uh, our indigenous language was taken from us. Our culture was taken from us in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, so yeah, Ireland and Scotland have a lot in common. Uh, and I think Irish people and Scottish people have a kind of a kinship with one another, whereas there's still a rivalry between Ireland and England. Definitely. Now, I am not a person who has ever like, you know, bought into that. The way I see it is the people I meet in my lifetime are the English people that I know, not people who existed, as you said, a thousand years ago or even a hundred years ago. Um, or the, the person, the man on the street does not represent the people in power either. So I just take people as I find them. But I know of people my age um, who would have that in them, the the dislike of the English, <laughs> basically, uh, in yeah. Ireland. And it certainly exists in Scotland as well, I know it does. Um, so yeah, it still exists to this day. Interesting. Yeah, like there's some, there's some people who feel that, you know, you've, there's some degree of guilt of what your forefathers have done in the past. And it's like, you can kind of reach a point where, I don't know, it's like a, you feel guilty about something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, or you just try to be a good person now with anybody that you meet, regardless of their background or race or heritage or whatever like that's kind of where i stand it's just like just be a good person oh yeah i mean i would never expect any person from england to feel guilt about what a king did centuries yeah. ago or, yeah. or decades ago or even yesterday it's like they, you know, they didn't make the decision <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they didn't, yeah i know and uh, so you know but like absolutely just be a good person and I find international rivalries are, they're more, I, I think they're more common to people who are like really interested in sport, which I'm not. Uh, so like if Ireland are playing England, like if you went to a pub in Dublin city centre, you should hear the abuse that would be getting shouted at the television. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, those same people who are in the pub shouting abuse at the England international football team also support probably uh, somebody in the Premier League in England like Manchester United or Arsenal or Chelsea or something like that. Um, uh, but like, you know, it's uh, it's a deeply rooted right. thing. But uh, right. yeah, I don't, I don't like, I'm not interested in sports, so I don't have reason to, you know, maybe once or twice a year get really into, <laughs> into why I hate England. Because <laughs> I don't anyway, like, but uh, but I don't even have a reason to pretend I do. Like, it's just uh, it doesn't it doesn't come up in my life, you know. And I, like I said in the past, any English people I've met, like most nationalities, most of most of them have been sound, you know. Yeah. Like, it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's it's 
and I wouldn't waste my time on anything like that. Yeah, like I kind of feel for the Russian people now because they're all kind of being grouped in now as these like over, like they're overstepping their reach and like you know, the average Russian Russian person, if you met them, like they're probably not in support of war or any of that kind of thing. So it's like, I don't they're, know. they're most likely just a random person earning a living, uh, yeah. you know, going about their daily business, trying to make ends meet, you know, like most normal people in any country in the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you have it. There's Virtual Eleven Part 2. And it was nice to be able to chat to Andrew at the start of that as well and do a little recap. We'll do another one of those before the next episode. I hope you're going to stick with us to episode three. Let us know how you feel about episode two of Virtual Eleven. I know we kept you there for a long time, but that's the nature of these episodes. They're never going to be short and sweet. They're always going to be lengthy and in-depth. And I'm sure we made some factual errors and we said some things that were probably wrong and that you disagree with them. Please contact us and we won't take any offence to it and we will engage in conversation with you on Twitter. If you want to contact Andrew, it's at Dubroy, D-U-B-R-O-Y 27 on Twitter. And I'm at Feckin Metal Cast, F-E-C-K-I-N. M-E-T-A-L-C-A-S-T. That's going to do it for this episode of Feckin' Metal. Virtual 11 Review Part 2. We'll see you next time for Episode 3. And thank you for listening.